0: News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, the care and comfort that surrounds you. I'm Jason Kong, and alongside me, as always, Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care and Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. Good evening to you both. Good evening.
1: So glad to be here.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, uh We've got your coffee in hand this time, Nicole. We're, we're, yeah, we're back I, on track. I, I
1: won't be as cranky this time. I'm sorry about my appearance last week.
0: No, no. no. We, <laughs> we could never tell if you were cranky. We could never tell. Okay, I, I could tell, Jason. I just, I just want to just go on the public airwaves record. I could tell. Only Cooper could tell. Well, Cooper, let's let's get into it. We've got uh, what I think is a really interesting show today, and this is going to be primarily about advanced directives. It is,
2: and this show is very often about showcasing expertise and providing information on topics that we may not always want to talk about, but we always need to talk about. It's really part of the caregiving journey. It's part of understanding how to get where we're going and take care of our loved one. And so today we have Ken Burgess. He is an attorney, is a partner with Pointer and Spruill located here in Raleigh. Uh, and in my opinion, is the foremost legal authority on issues of advanced directives, uh, both the legal advanced directives and some of the medical orders that are related to advanced directives in the state of North Carolina. And so, Ken, we're thrilled that you're on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, but where's my coffee?
1: Oh, (laughs) that was an epic fail, Cooper.
2: Totally on me, my bad you're forgiven.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I think before we kind of delve into this, I like to stand here and say, you know, let's think, about, let's think about who's listening to us today. And we're already using a term that not everybody may understand, advanced directive. Could you kind of shed some light on what exactly is an advanced directive? Sure.
3: Well, they actually are just like what they sound. They're, they're advanced, meaning that I'm going to make a document now, at a time when I can make and communicate my own healthcare choices that's going to direct somebody later as to the kind of choices that I want, where I want them, and the scope of those services. And that somebody I'm talking to may be my doctor, uh, some other medical professional, or a family member or loved one.
1: So these directives that we're talking about, these are th- things that we put together in our lives. This isn't talking about... Um, you know, just making a simple decision. These are typically end-of-life decisions?
3: They can be. Okay. We're going to talk today, I think, about two primary types of advanced directives. One is called a living will or a declaration of desire for natural death, and that's the one, Nicole, you're referring to. It deals really only with sort of death and dying decisions. The second primary type we have here in North Carolina is called a uh, healthcare power of attorney. And in that document, I'm telling a third person or or giving a third person the authority to make all kinds of decisions for me. So you can sell my house, Ken. Well, all kinds of health (laughs) care. Oh, so it's not selling my house. It's not selling your house. It's health care decisions. And they can be uh, surrounding end-of-life choices, or they can be more minor things. If I'm not able to tell you what I want and I need a toenail removed, I can authorize, Nicole, you to make that choice.
1: You can trust me. I will. <laughs> but, Cooper, you know, I'm not so sure. Yeah, no, no, not Cooper. <laughs> definitely not Cooper. So, but backing up a step, you know, funny Cooper just said, but you, you can sell my house. There is another type of sort of advanced directive that maybe we won't be touching on today, but it is a uh, financial power of attorney, correct?
3: Yes, there is. Uh, there are actually two. Okay. There is a thing called a, a power of attorney, flat out power of attorney. Our North Carolina statute creates a form for this, and it generally deals with things like giving... Uh, Jason, for example, access to my safe deposit box. I like the sound of this. Uh,
1: I it, know, especially because he's an attorney, right? Know, right? It's empty, <laughs> unfortunately.
3: But you can collect the rents on the farm, pay the bills. Uh, the, the, the normal power of attorney is something that I could create now for you and I to both have authority simultaneously. If I wanted that to survive my lack of mental capacity, I make a sort of a different type called a durable Power of attorney, but they're all really uh, financial business types of forms.
2: And I think people are often confused when they hear that phrase "power of attorney." Those three words, they think that they're all the same, and that they're somehow giving over power in the present to handle healthcare decisions or financial decisions. And I think there may be a little fear around that word or around that phrase.
3: So the type we just talked about that are not healthcare specific you can create a power of attorney now that gives Jason, Cooper, Nicole, I can give you the authority to make decisions at the same time I'm making them. If I make a durable power of attorney, you can make decisions with me now and also when I lose capacity. In the healthcare context, it's different.
1: So I think a lot of us probably listening today are, are familiar with giving a person a very limited power of attorney. Say you can't be present when you're closing on a home, for example. And you've already said, yes, I want to close on this. I've looked at the papers and yes, real estate agent or attorney, you can sign on my behalf. Is that kind of what you're talking about making a decision now with yes, you? Yes,
3: that's a classic example of sort of the financial
2: non-healthcare power of attorney that we were just talking about. So if those are the powers of attorney that we're not talking about, help me understand the difference with the healthcare power of attorney that we said we are talking about. Okay. There are several, the healthcare
3: power of attorney as it's named, it really only deals with giving Jason we will use Jason as my agent and the person you name in a healthcare power of attorney in the document is called your agent. So Jason, you're my healthcare agent. So first of all, you will only have authority to make choices for me when I reach the, the point mentally, that I can't make or communicate my own healthcare choices. And your powers are going to be limited at that time to healthcare decisions. Now, again, they can be minor. I need minor surgery, and I can't tell you or consent to it, but they could be ma- major. Jason, I don't want to be kept alive at the end of my life by
2: artificial measures. So that's the difference. So if I fill out a healthcare power of attorney today, and I'm of sound mind, I have to be in order to fill out the document itself it really doesn't do anything in the present moment other than create, in a way, insurance that somebody's going to speak for me in the future if I need it? That's right. It names somebody and gives them future
3: power at a point when you can't either make your decision or for you know, physical reasons you can't communicate it, a stroke, for example, a coma.
0: Ken, what happens if you don't have uh, an advance directive? Well, what, what happens then? Who makes the decision for you?
3: Well, North Carolina has a statute. I'm not sure if your listeners want me to, to cite law to them or not. But, <laughs> we, but I just happen to have there, a copy. There really is
1: a law, huh? I happen to have a copy
3: of it here in my back pocket. And it's, uh, we call it the North Carolina, I call it, the Family Decision Tree Statute. And it's, for, for, for lovers of law, it's NC General Statute 91-21.13. Oh,
2: I knew that one right off the top of my head. Yeah, that, that was pretty easy. <laughs> and, huh? I think I, and I think I gave
3: you the right let me, rec- let me correct that. It uh-huh. is 90-21.13. This statute basically uh, tells us as people, citizens, and providers of health care to whom we turn for consent when somebody can't make or communicate their own health choices. And it creates this pecking order, if you will, of this person is first. If we don't have one of that category, we go to the next category, and then so on and so so forth. And Jason, to your question, it uh, starts really with someone who's a guardian appointed by a court in a written court order. Okay. Giving them authority over your health care. If we don't have a guardian, we go to our health care agent under a health care power of attorney. Your question was, what happens if I don't have the health care power of attorney? Now we're going to our family. Okay. So we now look to uh, the uh, patient's spouse if they have one. If there is no spouse, we look to the majority of reasonably available parents and children over the age of eighteen, and the majority rules. So, if you've got four kids, three
2: say yes, one says no, then the three. Carry.
1: This is when it gets messy.
2: This is when it gets messy.
1: Yeah. This is what we want.
2: This is the sort of thing we want to avoid: is having a committee meeting at the bedside.
3: That's right. And I could go on down the rest of the statute. It creates again this sort of declining list of people with authority. And then you get into all these conflicts. The prime example is mom's in the nursing home. Mom is maybe on hospice, um, is failing, and um, we have to have a decision: Do we uh, implement some more aggressive treatment? What do we do? I've got four children. To say I'm hanging on for mom for, mom for all she's worth, and to say mom wouldn't want this, I've got a problem. That's why we create advanced
0: directives. Yeah, and that's that's very key and we'll continue this discussion. Our guest this week is Ken Burgess. He's an attorney with Pointer and Spruel, and we're going to continue our discussion on advanced directives. We'll get into DNR's a little bit. We'll explain what that means, and we'll do a whole lot more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680, WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. This show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. I'm Jason Kong, and alongside me, as always, Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights, Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care, and our special guest, our very special guest, Ken Burgess, attorney with Pointer and Sproul. And Cooper, we're going to hold off on all the lawyer jokes this show. We're going to Well, there's stash just those so away. many to choose from. <laughs> there are. There are. But we're, we're going to stay on topic here. And our, our discussion this week is all about advanced directives. And we were talking about health care power of attorney. And, you know, this is uh, an, a very important concept as we left off last segment, that uh, this gives you a lot of control in making decisions. Well, I think there's
2: often a misconception that, if I fill out and execute a healthcare power of attorney, then I'm surrendering control to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we, I think there's a, a misunderstanding that in reality, you're maintaining control and extending your control beyond the limitations of your own ability to express your wishes. There's also the misunderstanding that families are going to come to consensus. And uh, our experience in hospice care and palliative care is that some families truly are all on the same page, and some just aren't. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'd like for them to be, but they're not. Uh, Does that echo your experience, Ken, or is that just isolated to the world of Cooper?
3: Uh, No, that is not isolated to the world of Cooper. That's also the world of Ken. (laughs) um, A lot of the phone calls I receive in my law office have to do with a decision that needs to be made. Uh, the, The patient did not tell us in advance through a directive what they wanted. Now I've got a family that's torn. The Cooper, when we talk about healthcare powers of attorney and, and and living wills, which we'll talk about later on, people ask me, why do you make these things? And we always say there are two reasons. One is to make sure your wishes are carried out when you can't tell us what you want those wishes to be. In that sense, these are a gift we give ourselves. The second reason is to save families who are in trauma, strife, maybe guilt, at the end of your life from having to make choices and sometimes getting it wrong. And in that sense, these directives are a gift to your family, a very precious gift. A couple of things that we know about end of life is that most of us want to die if we're asked at home with our family and loved ones. And yet a large number of deaths occur in the hospital, in the intensive care unit with struggling families trying to make a really hard decision that we can help them avoid.
2: The statistics continue to bear out what you've what you've just sh- said, Ken, is that people do want to be at home. They want to be with their personal family caregivers. Uh, they want to be in an environment that feels comfortable. Uh, rarely do we hear someone say, I-, I would like to die in a strange place surrounded by <laughs> strange people. Right. But it painfully happens pretty frequently. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a common occurrence. And it's almost like we get caught up in the system and the system takes us where it's going to take us as opposed to us really directing our own will as to where we want to be.
3: That's right. And what, we know that one in five deaths occurs in the ICU. And how does that happen? Because we, I haven't told you, I want to stay at home with my loved ones. Um, I go into a, a medical crisis and every, somebody calls 911. You mentioned, if I can add one point sure. earlier, about the, the fear people have of loss of control. And again, I think we've made this point now several times, that it's the exact opposite. But it is important for people to remember, and I think we've mentioned this, the power you're giving your agent, your healthcare agent, in a health care power of attorney does not kick in, if you will, until the point where you can't make those choices yourself. If you have, have a health power of attorney, mm-hmm. and you need to give consent for a procedure or to withdraw care, as long as you can still make that decision and communicate it, we'll ask you. Right. We won't look at that piece of paper until you can no longer do that.
1: I consider it sort of the hit by the bus piece of paper. Hit by the bus. I'm okay today. I walk out the door, I get hit by a bus. Suddenly I can't make a decision. Somebody has to make decisions for me until I wake up and then I'm able to take over again for myself. Exactly. So talk about a little bit of a personal experience I had. I think it's really important that people really think about choosing the right people to help make this hit by the bus decision. Personally, I was caregiving for my grandfather, and I was not his healthcare power of attorney. My my father was. However, my grandmother had just passed away a few months before, as it typically kind of goes with elderly people living together. And he just was not able to make decisions. And he was clear across the country. I was his primary caregiver. He went to the hospital. Um, They intubated him before I got there for pneumonia. And it got to the point where we had to make a decision. Do we withdraw treatment or do we continue? And my father was literally paralyzed and couldn't make the decision. He just, he couldn't do it. And he said, I can't, you have to. And so the, there's an example there of really choosing the right people because then I was suddenly put in a position where I hadn't really had that conversation with my grandfather. And they're you know, they standing in the, in the ICU unit with two doctors, a nurse, all these witnesses, and me trying to get him to say, Grandpa, if we withdraw this tube and you can't breathe what do you want us to do? Do you want it to go back in or not? And he shrugged his shoulders, right? So then there's like a non-committal answer. So ultimately, I said, no, he was 97 years old. You know, he obviously wasn't going to recover, but that put a huge burden on me. And then, you know, you know, and then, and then I had a father who just just couldn't make that decision. Ultimately, I believe, you know, we did the right thing for him. But, wouldn't you say that's really important to consider?
3: You've raised a really great point. Uh, it's not enough just to create these advanced directives and put them in the <laughs> door. <drawer>. You need <laughs> yeah. to have
1: tell people what you want. <laughs> tell people well,
3: first of all. Make sure they've got it. Yeah. Uh, right. You don't want people scrambling around, you know, looking for the document. And then talk to them about uh, talk to your agent about what it is you want. One of the things I like about having a form uh, is that the form not only lets me name Jason as my agent it lets me direct in writing to some extent what it is Jason will Mm -hmm. or will not do and it gives me the authority or or the power to authorize you to either uh, override my wishes I Mm -hmm. can say Jason may do this for me or Jason must do this for me Mm -hmm. and so you you have a a lot of discretion to give somebody uh, those directions but to your point Nicole there's never going to be a
2: form that we create that's good enough to cover every fact pattern. So really, what you're doing is trying to select someone whose judgment you trust, and to some extent, this is a very technical healthcare term that has the moxie that it takes to get this done. And so, judgment and moxie, in my mind, are, are your two. Uh, I don't know if there's a moxie scale to determine who has the most moxie in your family, but it's a
0: five point scale. It's a five point way, scale. Yeah.
2: The moxiest. Mm-hmm. The um, moxiest and again you
3: you gird that moxie if i can follow your metaphor here (laughs) you gird that moxie with conversation and you know i have friends who are older because i work a lot with elders um, and, and providers of elder care who will make their advanced directive and also give their agent some written instructions and what that does is when everybody's in your face you're the agent and i'm the one who's you know can't tell you what i want i've empowered nicole to make my choices My family's in her face. She's like, Ken and I talked about this. When more than that, here's what he gave me. I know what he wanted. Uh, yeah, who's in us.
2: charge and conversely, who's not in charge. Yeah. Sometimes that's important for people to understand. And
3: choosing your agent carefully, we often say, you know, don't pick the sister who's not talking to you.
1: Right, <laughs> right. And look at and, and look at it every year around tax day because you're you may change. That's what somebody once said, you know, you have to do taxes every year, look over your advanced directives every year. There could be a family feud you might have changed your feelings because of maybe a procedure someone else had in the family or your right. feeling about cancer, whatever it may be. You should review them.
3: And let's be sure we talk at some point about uh, how you revoke these things.
1: Mm. I, I'd like to bring up quickly, too, you can also have a second string, correct? For example, in the case of my grandfather, he named my father no one else. He could have said, and if he's not able to do it, I name, not just saying it had to be me, but he could have named me. That's right.
3: You could, yeah, you can name um, in the healthcare power of attorney form we're talking about, you can designate your, your primary first choice. Mm-hmm. And if that person either is unable to act or unwilling to act, or maybe they're off in Europe right. on a cruise so we can't reach them. Then you would go to the secondary person and they'd have the full
2: and same authority that the first person you picked would have. So we've talked a lot about who's in charge. And uh, in, a, in, in shortly I'd like for us to really explore more detail about the what piece of this. What do you want somebody to do? What do you not want them to do? How do you capture that? And I know that you were very instrumental in crafting the North Carolina Medical Order for Scope of Treatment Law. And there's some confusion. What's an order versus what's in advanced directives? And I hope that we can explore that uh, a little more shortly.
0: We'll get into that. And we'll also discuss uh, an important event coming up here with uh, Transitions Life Care that I believe Pointer and Sproul is also involved with. But we'll get to that in just a bit. Ken Burgess is our guest, attorney with Pointer and Sproul. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can always find them online at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights, Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care, and our guest this week, Ken Burgess with Attorney. He's an attorney with Pointer and Sproul. And this show's been all about advanced directives, and we've been talking about uh, healthcare power of attorney. And now we're going to get into a discussion of revoking that. And we'll also get into uh, topics of living wills. And we're going to reach into our, our Scrabble bag and pull out some letters later, DNR, M-O-S-T. And we'll see how that goes. Maybe we can get a triple word <laughs> score out of it. It's that. alphabet soup. We're actually going to serve that for dinner tonight. Right. Of course.
1: Now, Jason, you're dating yourself. It's words with friends, not Scrabble. Oh, you're <laughs> right, <laughs> right.
0: I'm old school. I'm old school.
3: Well, I have to tell you before we jump into this, I live with an 80-year-old mother and a 78-year-old uncle. We have four Scrabble boards in our home and they are on rotating lazy susans wow i know all about triple word score
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you don't want to you don't want to use m-o-s-t on that triple word score you gotta you gotta use something there's gotta be a q in there that's That's what you need is a (laughs) q but you did ken you brought up the word
2: revocation we kept talking about instituting these documents but you bring up a great point what happens if i need to change my mind or they, I don't want them to be relevant any, anymore, I think there's a fear that, okay, okay, I write this document, and now I can't stop it.
1: No, no, it, it's definitely written in stone. It's carved forever. Oh,
2: it is, Mount Sinai. Oh, now, Nicole,
3: Nicole, you're going to scare people.
1: I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, one of the points, Cooper, you made earlier is that people sometimes fear creating these documents for fear they're giving up control, and we've made the point it's the opposite. You're, you're retaining control in the future. But people do sometimes change their mind. A health power of attorney, I may decide that Jason and I aren't
2: friends anymore,
0: and I don't want Jason to be my agent. That's a very smart move on your part. You've been talking about me doing this the whole show. I'm glad you've come to your senses. I feel I can trust you now.
2: <laughs> Ken, Ken, do you trust me yet or we're still not there? Uh, I'm not going to talk about that on the air.
0: But, uh...
1: I've got the halo. <laughs> oh. Aww.
3: But it's important for people to understand there are, there are, there are several very simple ways to revoke a healthcare power of attorney and in a moment when we talk about living wills the same applies how do you do it you can tear it up you can mark through it and write void you can burn it you can create another one another health power of attorney or a living will with a later date and if you have to the one that has the most recent date on it by law will be the one that governs the other one is automatically revoked so they're very
2: easy to change. They're very easy to revoke. So I can get into this document pretty easily. It sounds like I can get out of this document pretty easily, and it perpetuates my control going forward in the event that I can't speak for myself. How do I capture the direction that I want to give somebody? I've established who's going to make the decisions, but I want to capture what I tell them to do, how do I guide them in this, and how do I capture that guidance for the person I trust? Good question, of course, because you're the host of the show. (laughs) That that doesn't
3: default me to good questions. I I can ask terrible
2: ones.
1: That's why we bring good experts. There you go.
3: (laughs) So, North Carolina has in our statute that creates the Healthcare Power of Attorney, we have a form that is presumptively correct. You can use this form, you're always going to be good to go. The form uh, starts with the premise for the Healthcare. uh, We call it the Healthcare POA. You don't talk about letters, Healthcare Power of Attorney. It starts with the assumption that I'm giving you all the authority to make any healthcare decision that needs to be made for me when I can't do it myself. But the form also lets me limit those powers. One of the key issues people often are concerned about is artificial food and water at the end of life. And so our form lets me give Jason, still going to hang with Jason here, <laughs> all the authority to decide for me. But I can say, Jason, I do want artificial nutrition or hydration, or I don't want artificial nutrition or hydration. So that's one of the key points. There's also a section where I can write in special instructions, limitations. One lady once told me that she picked her sister as her healthcare agent because her sister knew She didn't like to be in bed without a pillow under her
1: heels. (laughs) So I just want to back up a step for those listening who may not have ever heard artificial hydration and nutrition. What is that? Uh, that
3: that, That's fancy doctor talk (laughs) for uh, tube feeding. Essentially, tubes are either inserted in your nose, sometimes in your throat or your stomach, in which we insert food, hydration, food and water um, when you can't eat, swallow yourself for yourself.
2: And some, For some people, that's something they absolutely want or they may want on a temporary basis. Uh, some people want it as a life-sustaining measure, and I think it's really critical that people think about under what circumstances might they want artificial hydration or artificial nutrition because I, I've had people call me and say, well, I don't want to be on tubes or wires. Painfully, that's a good start, but it's 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 an overly simplistic approach to what is it you really do or do not want, and under what circumstances would you want those things, and then how have you expressed that to the people you trust to make those decisions? That's right, and
3: and this you made a good point earlier, Nicole or Cooper. You, you, a person may have a temporary inability to swallow that we're going to fix, and so for them, a short term insertion of a tube in the least intrusive least painful way is appropriate do these things come with risks infection and, and other risks but that's a conversation you're going to have or your agent in my case jason is going to have with my doctor on a case-by-case basis about
2: is this the right thing to do for ken or are we just buying him time so on a personal note we did a trial basis of artificial hydration and nutrition for my mother at one point when she had had a cerebral bleed and we really set a time limit and we said we're going to give her X amount of time to recover to the point that she can eat or drink or express her own wishes, either one. Uh, and thankfully, after a few days, she came out of what was essentially a coma. Uh, she came out of it hungry. <laughs> and we were like, well, maybe we weren't giving her quite enough. But we were able to remove that tube, and she went on about eating and drinking normally. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Um, yeah,
3: We see this. People think that we're talking only about old people. When we're talking about these documents, a lot of young people, traumatic car accidents, people are temporarily disabled. I mean, this
2: is not just for this is not just for your grandpa. So when we think about older folks, though, we do tend to think about this alphabet soup again, this DNR, and then there's a somewhat newer document, though not brand new. The most form medical order for scope of treatment can. Explain that to us, will you? (laughs) Explain that to you, Lucy. So the form we've been talking about
3: earlier, the advanced directive called the Healthcare Power of Attorney, is, as we said, a directive. I'm giving you instructions for something I do or don't want in the future. But that's just me talking. Um, For the wishes I have conveyed in this document to my agent here, Jason, there still has to be a physician's order implementing those wishes. So, Jason, if I've said to you in my healthcare POA, using our scrabble board (laughs) metaphor here. I said, Jason, I um, don't want to be kept alive by artificial food or water. I'm in a tragic accident. The EMS picks me up by the road. They intubate me. They give me the tube. I get to the hospital and Jason says, he didn't want that. Take it out. A doctor has to write the order. So, um, one of the kinds of care that can resuscitate us, revive us is CPR. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation. We see it on TV and we think everybody who gets it walks away and they're great, but you're, you know, it, that's not always the case. But DNR stands for do not resuscitate. Pretty simple. Pretty simple.
2: Don't it's do a, that. Don't do that.
3: <laughs> it's an order that says if I have a cardiac or pulmonary heart or lung arrest, they stop. I do not want to be brought back with chest compression or electronic mechanisms of, of resuscitation.
1: So it seems like if you have one of those orders, that probably should be something you kind of have with you because you never know when something like that's going to happen and you may get that resuscitation when you didn't want it.
3: That's exactly right. You need to, the DNR, do not resuscitate, needs to be with you. If you, you know, there, and there are, very, there are different versions of it. I have a friend who actually had his tattooed on his chest, wow. literally. A little bit extreme right he's probably listening right now and you know him <laughs> um, but yeah, you need to have those forms with you and uh, you know we do see the DNR order uh, a lot with with elderly people who may be homebound or maybe in a institute not an institution a facility a skilled nursing facility or an assisted living or other people for whom we expect a relatively short um, lifespan that's not something my young friend Jason would be walking around with in his
0: wallet typically now, we, uh, we're running short on time here, Ken, but this MOST that uh, uh, Cooper brought up, what is this?
3: This stands for Medical Order for Scope of Treatment. It's a, again, a physician order. You can only get it from your doctor that carries out wishes I may also have expressed in my advance directive. And it covers things like we just talked about, I don't want CPR. It can also cover, I don't want antibiotics. I don't want surgery. Um, I don't want uh, intubation, yeah, the school, a full array of treatment. And it can also authorize me to have those, to your point earlier, Cooper and Nicole, for a limited trial basis. Will this make Ken
2: feel better again, and is it going to last a while? So it's a little more nuanced, a more sophisticated document. More sophisticated,
0: yeah. Ken Burgess, attorney with Pointer and Sproul. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. This was uh, highly educational and and illuminating. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Uh, If if people want to find more information about you or Pointer and Sproul. Can they just Google that? Is there a website they can go to? Sadly, you can Google me and okay. I'll pop right up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sometimes convert. that's good, sometimes that's bad. In your Have you case, made
1: it to the level of Wikipedia?
0: I, I haven't <laughs> checked that. I don't know. <laughs> I know what Nicole will be doing tomorrow morning. <laughs> You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You, a Service of Transitions Life Care. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here, Nicole Bruno over there, Cooper Linton over there representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. We had our guest Ken Burgess on with us. He's an attorney with Pointer and Sproul, and we, we've just about wrapped up our conversation on advanced directives. And again, I don't think we can overemphasize just how important these documents are and mm-hmm. how much they help uh, not just those receiving care, but uh, caregivers as well.
2: Yeah, I think Ken touched on a great point. These documents are an absolute gift to family members. Uh, and you know when you have them filled out, you need to provide copies of these documents to your loved ones, to the people that are involved in your decision making. And let's not leave out our physicians. Mm-hmm. We need to give these documents to the doctors sure. and the care practitioners in our world that are helping take care of us so that they know who's going to be in charge and who's not and what things we do want and have some similar conversations with our primary care physicians.
1: Well, and also that they're just not for the old. They're for all of us. Anybody over 18, you, you need to have one of these.
2: Preach it, Nicole. If you're over 18 years old, you need an advanced directive.
1: That's a beast. <laughs> are, you gonna, are
0: you gonna explain to the aging matters audience what beast is? Because we, well, we've read, referenced this a couple times.
1: Yeah, I, I think I understand. It's pretty much back in our day, I guess we would call it cool.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's what kids today are saying is yeah, beast. So yeah. on the aging matters, we're trying to bring in the the jargon of the young. Is yes. that what's going on?
1: Having an advanced directives is pretty beast.
2: All right. I'm going to assure you now that my
0: 11-year-old is going to make
2: fun of us after
0: this (laughs) Let me just tell you, I'm going to catch it after this Either that or no one will be saying beast anymore.
1: (laughs) I totally made it uncool.
0: We have decooled
2: the term. (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, for those people that have been caught up in this concept of an advanced directive and want to know more and possibly execute their own documents, Transitions Life Care, uh, in conjunction with the North Carolina Bar Association and uh, another group out of Winston-Salem, which you can also find their information at gotplans123.org. We're going to host an event on April the 8th. That's this uh, upcoming Saturday. Saturday, April 8th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Transitions Life Care Campus on Trinity Road. Uh, The address, if you're looking for it, is hospice circle raleigh north carolina and we will be hosting an event about advanced directives there'll be an attorney there there's a presentation at 11 o'clock and another one at noon we'll have the notaries there to help you execute the documents and a lawyer to help you understand some of the intricacies if you have questions
0: yeah and And no charge well, that's that's a steal right there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure people will have plenty of questions as well. So having someone there, a lawyer to help guide them, I think that's also important as well.
2: Well, it's actually, I believe it's going to be an attorney out of uh, Ken Burgess's office. So we are really going to have some experts available that day at no charge at all. Just show up and we'll
0: work with you. Perfect. And that's that's a week from today from 11 to 1.
1: Yes, but I wanted to mention that officially, uh, as of today, we actually have open registration for the upcoming caregiver summits, and we've talked a little bit about these uh, uh, on the shows leading up to today, but basically these four summits provide respite, resolution, and resources to family caregivers who are caring for a loved one or perhaps just trying to be proactive and are preparing to care. So basically what happens is folks come to these all-day events. And there are breakout sessions that educate people, even on topics such as advanced directives or how to do future estate planning, how to care for yourself, help how to manage different disease states your loved ones may have. We have, uh, between all four conferences or summits, um, hundreds of exhibitors that are present, really tied to the local community, so resources that you may be able to tap into to assist you in your caregiving journey. Um, lunch, um, free adult daycare services provided. So these are are a wonderful opportunity for folks listening to actually get out and get some education to help provide care for their loved one. And also a sense of community to realize that you are not alone and that there are a lot of other people in our community that um, are providing care right alongside you. And it's great to connect with other folks. So we do have four of these coming up. Uh, The first one is on June 13th at the McKimmon Conference Center in Raleigh. Uh, The next one is on June the 20th at the Durham Convention Center in Durham. And then a little bit further out, we have one on August 22nd uh, at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. And then last but not least, uh, October 3rd in Lillington at Campbell University. So if folks want to go online and register for these, uh, they can find registration at caregiverssummit.org and it's just $15 to attend for a full day and that includes lunch.
2: Ooh, that's a bargain. It is. Fifteen bucks for lunch and a full day of classes is hard to beat. One of the interesting things is we, we do surveys after each of these conferences and people are thrilled with the content. They come back year after year and it really is a valuable resource to help them manage the challenges Uh, of caregiving. And so we're we're pleased to be able to make these open to the public.
0: Yeah. And I I hate to sound cheesy, but, Uh you know, the the information that's being provided, and maybe one simple connection that you make at one of these summits is, uh, you know, that's invaluable compared to a $15 registration fee.
1: Definitely. And, you know, it's something that's new this year. Uh, We're actually hosting uh, free health clinics at each one of these um, summits uh, through Baptist on Mission. And so basically, what's happening is that folks attending because we know caregivers we're so busy caring for our loved ones we don't really take care of ourselves so you actually will be able to get a health screening for yourself just to see how you're doing and then perhaps if you know we find something that day uh, you follow up with your doctor so that you continue to take care of yourself so that's something new there's massages there are all kinds of things to take care of yourself but also
2: how much are those health screenings
1: oh no there there's no cost
2: wait a minute so the 15 dollars covers the all-day classes it covers the lunch, and it covers the health screening.
1: It does, but, but seriously, you know this might sound too good to be true, and people usually say if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, but this, this is really a gift to the community given by the area nonprofits, Transitions Life Care, Transitions Guiding Lights, and for these two summits hosted also by the Alzheimer's of North Carolina. Again, though, it does cover caregiving needs uh, for folks no matter what the diagnosis is.
0: That's great. That's great. And again, the the website is caregiverssummit.org. And that's two S's in the middle of there. Yeah. And if if you can't remember that, and I, I don't know how you <laughs> couldn't, you can always go to WPTF.com and go to the Aging Matters page. And we've got uh, a list of all of the uh, the conferences there, all the dates. And you can click through the link and register there as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, guys, we've uh, we've wrapped up our show here all about advanced directives. And if people are interested in sharing this with someone else or going back and listening to the uh, great information that Ken Burgess provided again, he's an attorney with Pointer and Spurl. You can always go online to WPTF.com. You can find the full episode there. You can share it with a friend if you think that they're is some information in there that they may find valuable. And again, it was, this is was all about advanced directives, uh, misconceptions about them, DNRs, living wills, uh, just a ton of great information that we went over in this show. It was hard to jam it into uh, to an hour here, yeah. but I, I think we barely did it. Well, we well, can do it again. We can do it again.
2: and And Ken is the kind of speaker that teaches these programs uh, to your professional audience. And uh, he's he's a wealth of information.
0: He certainly is. And a reminder, again, that uh, a special event going on at Transitions Life Care, a week from today, from 11 to 1, if you're interested in getting some of these forms for free. The advanced directives, uh, they'll have a lawyer on site. Uh, It's a great opportunity to learn, to ask questions, and to get your documents taken care of if you want that done.
2: You can go to transitionslifecare.org and look on our events page to find out more details about it, or you can call our office at 919-828-0890.
0: Perfect, perfect. And thanks again, Ken Burgess, attorney with Pointer and Sproul. You've been listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can always find them online at transitionslifecare.org. We'll see you again next Saturday evening. This is News Radio 680 WPTF.